So listeners, we have a pretty special guest with us today. So some of you may have remembered a couple episodes ago, we had Lauren Grush on the show and the conversation meandered to Insight because I always bring up Mars everywhere I go. And from there, it went to a pretty cool individual who has kind of become famous all of a sudden in this podcast, Gary from Lockheed. And we actually have Gary from Lockheed on the show, Gary Napier. Gary, how are you doing today? (laughs) I'm doing good. How are you, Jake? I'm excellent. I, I have to ask you, when I sent, when you read that email that I sent you and I tried to go from step one to step seven of how we got there, was it or was it not the weirdest request you'd ever gotten? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm used to kind of chatting with you on email back and forth and fun requests like this and that, but I, I got to tell you, at first, I just wasn't getting it. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, oh, I guess I need to go re- listen to this podcast. And then it, it like took a while, but you know, I love Lauren and she was cool. And um, and then finally I got into this whole Gary from Lockheed thing. It's like, wow, okay, this is weird. So I felt very left out. Everybody knew Gary from Lockheed, and I was like, I'm I'm seriously missing out here. I've never met Gary. And I know. Anthony. I think that's when we made the promise that we had to get you on the show. And I'm very happy that we are uh, promise keepers here on Off Nominal. So Anthony, I've, I've been racking my head trying to remember if we have met or not at some launch down at Kennedy or something. And I, I mean, I know, I know Miko, your show and, and, and I've heard of your name, but I don't know if we've ever met. So I don't think we have, yeah. but okay. there's a lot of launches coming up. Yeah. Maybe. Didn't you, um, you went to EFT one, didn't you, Anthony? I did. That was a long time ago. Yeah. That was another man well, back then. Don't say that. No. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because you did NASA show- Social, I think, right, Anthony? Maybe, maybe you did meet each other and you don't remember, and this is just yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, was, this is like one of those missed connections things. <laughs> I was at NASA Social for EFT one, also. Yeah, oh, so, and but, we probably did. But it was a a room full of people, right? It was like 150 people. That was, yeah, was seriously packed. That was cool. <laughs> okay, so I just want to say that the fact that this started because Anthony didn't know Gary from Lockheed, and it ended up with. Anthony actually met Gary from Lockheed. Makes this the perfect end to the story. <laughs> not only, not only did Anthony meet Gary from Lockheed, probably met him first, like way back <laughs> right, in the day. Right. So oh, that's perfect. That's good. Yeah, I, I, right. I was. Well, I feel better. <laughs> I was typing up this email. I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna ask Gary to come on the show. And he's gonna be like, well, he's gonna ask why. So then I like backed up a step, and I was like, oh, I need to back up one more step and one more step, and then it ended up being this big email. Uh, we should almost show people. It was really funny. And then I just like fired away and I was like, I hope he talks to me again. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Awesome. Um, do you want to start with drinks? We're, we're terrible at getting off track really fast, but maybe we should do that first. Let's do it. Gary, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, being a Colorado guy, I've, I've been up here in Colorado for about 19 years. You know, Lockheed Martin Space is... Um, been up here, uh, started with the Glen L. Martin Company and then Martin Marietta. Um, we've been here for 62 years, something like that. Um, I thought I'd, I'd get a, and, and of course, Colorado's famous for Coors, right? So 
I thought I'd get what's called a Colorado native. And I don't know if you guys have your your Skype up. I know you're not doing video right now, but I'm showing it to you. Colorado native is um, actually brewed by um, by uh, Coors out in Golden, Colorado. But what's so cool about it, this is an amber lager. And it's brewed with 100% Colorado ingredients from the uh, barley, the hops, um, even the water, and then like one of the oldest strings of yeast in Colorado. And um, even the uh, the bottles and the cans are all sourced from Colorado. And the coolest part is you guys aren't ever going to drink it unless you come visit with me because <laughs> it's only sold in Colorado, which is kind of cool because that's how Coors was back in the day. So it's a it's a it's a pretty cool um, amber lager, kind of fat tire like, but pretty good amber lager. So let me take a swick here for you. That's like an awesome, awesome selection. That's really good. Anthony, what do you got? Well, I uh, I bought a little something from Colorado as well. Little Dale's Pale Ale. Uh, Longmont, I think it's in. Is that does that sound accurate, Gary? Yeah, it does. It sounds right. I've had. I it. always love me a Dale's, so I went out and I figured that was the best bet for what my local shop has in uh, Colorado flavors. So I hooked myself up with one, and it's pretty great. And I do see on this that uh, just to tie it a little more spacey in here, that there's a ball logo on this. Yeah. What's up with that? Because um, the ball company that first started making ball um, canning jars. You know, moms and grandmas, you know, would can the peaches and all of the preserves or the green beans in, in ball canning jars um, was here in Colorado. Then they spun out a division called Ball Aerospace. <laughs> Go figure. What does right? this have to do with this can of beer, though? Because they make the cans. Oh, they. OK, so they, the aluminum cans kept the can part rolling. Absolutely. Even though the other side is probably, it's probably more lucrative to make cans, to be honest. I, I was going to say <laughs> quantity. <laughs> it's a quantity thing, right? You make a lot more of those a year than you do, with, uh, you know, imaging satellites, I guess. That, that's quite the, the reach to like, you make aluminum cans to be like, you know, let's start an aerospace company. It can't be that different. <laughs> Anthony, we should spin off an aerospace company from the podcast. We did. Didn't we talk about doing like a Kickstarter or something for a lunar sample return? <laughs> yeah something like that it's <laughs> still in my head somewhere what do you got you got a giant beer jake i always have a giant beer jake, cousin. all right so gary you've met jake you know how large he is he always gets <laughs> what, how many ounces in that or how many milliliters is that it's uh 650 milliliters which i oh think is goodness. like 22 ounces maybe yeah it's a big one but he but it looks regular size because jake's like nine feet tall <laughs> so he hides it on stream okay so uh, I chose this one for two reasons, and I'll explain it first. So, um, actually, I'll show it to you first. So, it's uh, it's called Perfect Storm from Townsite Brewing. It's an oatmeal stout, so it's a really kind of a heavy one. Yeah. Um, so I chose the stout because I've been kind of under the weather this week, and I wanted some comfort uh, style beer, so um, something thick and and delicious. And then Perfect Storm because uh, we finally got the. Uh, the the rains of winter hit vancouver it's just miserable out right now it's this cold wet drizzle and you guys are gonna have to remind me what the sun looks like every couple of days until april when i see it again so uh. um it seems appropriate and also i'm kind of bitter because my wife's in palm springs right now and she doesn't have to deal with any of it so are you really story. gonna drink that whole thing over this next hour <laughs> i usually can finish it up i bring a glass though so i can oh, okay myself. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm drinking but, mine uh, right out of the bottle, but... <laughs> the bottle's a little big to drink. <laughs> I can see. It's almost like His arm would get different. tired. He'd be sore by the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, you can't really hang on to it, so... Um, there you go. Oh, look how look how thick it is, though. Well, you can't see through it. Like that weather outside the window there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not pretty. Hey, so right. here in Denver, it's uh, it's pretty chilly too. Where um, you know, Denver gets like three hundred days of sunshine out of the year, so it's really a cool place in that sense. But I think our high today was something like um. No, I don't know, 45 or something Fahrenheit. But it's getting down into the, the high 20s right now, even the mid-20s. Gary, I want to ask you a question. How do you get into a job of communications at Lockheed Martin? Can you, can you tell us the spin the yarn of how you, how you, uh, you uh, get to that place? So, um, you know, I graduated from the University of Texas, um, El Paso, UTEP, in, um, in El Paso, Texas, where I lived for 20 years, and um, actually studied uh, public relations uh, journalism. And, uh, you know, the degree allowed you to go either go into journalism or go into PR, so I'm one of those few rare people that still, I don't know, 30 years later, um, doing what they got their degree in. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no pivots. Yeah, I know. Um, so, you know, from that, I, I worked in a, a variety of organizations, whether it's um, graphic design firms or a public education um, school district, public relations. Um, my wife and I and our kids moved out here to Denver in uh, in in 2000. Uh, my wife's job brought us out here and uh, looked around, and I ran into this really cool company. Um, up in uh, the northern Denver area called uh, Space Imaging. And I don't know how many folks know what Space Imaging was or what they, what they did, but um, back at the time, they, had the company, they were the company with the world's first commercial high-resolution Earth imaging satellite called Iconos, I-K-O-N-O-S. And um, my, uh, my then boss um, was a uh, ex-ABC news producer, and we just headed off, and I, I got on board there, and, and I hadn't had a lick of aerospace uh, history in my, in my uh, repertoire at that point, but for whatever reason, we, uh, man, it was, a, it was a cool place to work with. Space Imaging merged um, with a, another company called um, Orb Image out of Orbital Sciences, um, you know, you guys know a division of that as Orbital and then Orbital ATK and now Northrop Grumman. Keep the list going. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and hey, one more. And then um, that company stayed around as GOI for quite a while until Digital Globe acquired them. And Digital Globe was Space Imaging's, you know, biggest competitor. So as I kind of jokingly say, um, Ford bought Chevy. I mean, it was it was. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, big merger, and, and for the longest time, um, Digital Globe owned Iconos. Well, so how did I get to Lockheed Martin? Come to find, you know, not come to find out, I knew this. Um, Space Imaging was a 50-50 joint venture company of Lockheed Martin and, um, and uh, Raytheon. Um, Raytheon built the ground systems. Lockheed Martin built Iconos. And, of course, Lockheed Martin has this, you know, grand history of building Earth imaging satellites all the way back to the corona um, era in the 60s. So it just made sense. So I got to know the um, all the communication folks. 
um, down at, at, at Lockheed Martin down there in Littleton. I'm way on the other side of the company of, of the uh, city, and I worked there for a long time um, for five six years. And then um, right when GOI and Orb Image were all and space imaging were all kind of getting mixed together, I um, I jumped over to Lockheed Martin, and I've been there for about twelve thirteen years now. Wow. Resolution on uh, this satellite back in the day was pretty awesome. I'm looking at some of the images they still got up on the website. Uh, they've got a couple of shots of like Anger Watt and Fukushima. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Holds up even today. You know, oh, you my see, gosh. Like, yeah. All these newfangled ones going up. Yeah. You know, and, and I, one of the things that I did was back, this is before, you know, Google Earth and Google Maps and satellite imagery on our cell phones, right? is that we were working with news organizations like, um, you know, New York Times or USA Today, and boy, I've got tons of stories around that, of getting them satellite imagery of uh, denied areas of the world. You know, the, the Bushir nuclear reactor in Iran and showing this thing being built in the middle of the desert and then later being buried. Um, and so, you know, a lot of investigative journalism would um, actually... Um, um, use and come to us for satellite imagery. Taipo Dong is a, a North Korean nuclear, um, uh, not nuclear, yeah, North Korean um, launch site. And so, you know, we, we were we were dealing and getting a lot of imagery to uh, news media back in the day. In fact, you know, one of the uh, we were one of the only assets that was overhead on, um, you know, September 11, 2001, and we were mm. we were able to take imagery of a. Uh, of Manhattan and Ground Zero a couple hours after the the tragic attack, and um, a couple days later, and you could see Ground Zero. And of course, at that time, um, Norman Netta, the head of uh, the FAA, grounded all air flights, so there really wasn't a lot of overhead um, images of Ground Zero. And we were able to take them with our satellite, and you know, get them get them out to um, TVs and newspapers around the world. Wow. I always forget, this is somewhat related, um, the astronaut that was on the ISS at the time was Frank Culbertson, who's now, he, he I forget his position, president of uh, the launch side of, of, or launch and Cygnus side of what was Orbital ATK, I don't know what his title is now at Northrop, but mm -hmm. uh, he was the one on the ISS that was taking photos uh, from the ISS that day. I always, like, it's crazy that, you know, to know he was on there and now he's got this position in the industry still, it's like. A weird connective tissue to 20 years ago that's pretty cool kind of crazy. yeah that's pretty cool that's some like pretty heavy uh heavy background and uh, it, it kind of makes me think like so you, you get to do all this work with um different segments of space you know like so you have this kind of imaging stuff and a lot of that crosses over to to military a lot of it's civilian but then you have this kind of human space flight side that you get to talk about and then you have some science side you get to talk about what's that like pivoting between that and and maybe what's your favorite one to work with you know what's i'm just kind of curious to know how much exposure you get to those different branches and, and what that's like to to work with different kinds of content you know well i mean it, first of all it's not just me either i mean we've got a pretty good um department of, of professionals out here at Lockheed martin space and, and we're actually broken up into two areas one here and in Littleton um, and one out in um, Sunnyvale, California. And so um, the, the ones that deal with external communications and media relations, we um, are, are kind of assigned out to different lines of businesses. And so I work with the line of business called commercial civil space, which is basically everything civil space or NASA or NOAA. 
And um, so for the last 12 or 13 years, I've um, been the one dealing with the, the robotic and planetary and weather systems. And just recently, within the last year and a half or no, so um, another lady, uh, Danny Huff, has taken over that beat. And so she's the one dealing with uh, Insight right now and Osiris Rex and all of that coolness. And I, I jumped over about two years ago to start dealing with Orion. So, you know, what's my favorite is, yeah, those. Um, so we've got other um, really talented folks that are doing the communications around our, our, our military space and the GPS, GPS-3. Um, we're replacing the entire GPS constellation, um, you know, our, our, our strategic missile defense folks and, um, you know, Triton and all of that. So a lot, lot of different um, other areas um, that other folks are handling. So it's definitely not just me. Hmm. Is it and. I'll ask this in a way. I hope you don't take it the wrong way, but like something like G, something like GPS, is it hard to get people excited about that? It's so ubiquitous in our life now. Like um, when you're, you know, and maybe, and maybe you don't necessarily work on this part, but just from your experience, like how do you get, say, even just journalists engaged with covering something like that when it's going to be tough to generate, you know, clicks on a website or whatever, right? It is. I mean, at least it's a product that just about everybody knows. And that's good. Um, so talking about it, you immediately have kind of that, for lack of a better word, brand recognition about what GPS is, GPS right. and GPS-3. And, you know, you keep in mind that it, that it is an Air Force program and it has a specific, you know, um, need for the, the Department of Defense. Um, you know, and the reality is, is that, the, you know, the large, broad mass media aren't doing a lot of stories on and they really don't need to. But, you know, the first GPS-3 is um, getting ready to launch here um, at the uh, end of the year. So that's going to be really cool. Um, so it, it's typically a little more of the uh, the industry, the trade papers and, and, and um, you know, folks like GPS World or Space News. Um, Sandra Irwin out there at Space News covers it. So. You're right. I mean, you know, you're not going to open USA Today tomorrow and read this awesome story about GPS three, but hopefully you will sometime in, in December when we when the thing launches and and they're talking about the great new capabilities that this improves um, constellation is going to bring. Anthony, is that you? I can see you on um, on video now, man. Yeah, I've been I've been listening to the GPS chat. Right on. Debugging a little bit over here. So nice to see you. I think we're getting it sorted out. <laughs> It's good to see that handsome Philadelphian mug. <laughs> um, I'm, are you going to get out to any of the GPS launches? Is that something on your books? Um, yet to be determined. Probably no. We've we've got the you know communicators. A good friend of mine is um, actually lives in the same town where I live. Is um, Chip? He handles that, and um, they'll probably go to the the first one. Launches on a, a Falcon Nine, which is pretty cool. Um, so I probably won't, but you never know. I might, might find my way out there. There's plenty of them. There's going to be a, a, quite a lot of them. So there are, there are. <laughs> you always got cool. a chance. It's <laughs> the good part about constellations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, here's here's a, a fun question for you. What's the the best part of your job, and what's the worst part? Really, put them on the spot there. <laughs> I, you have to think carefully about that. One. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> No, I mean, clearly the best part, the, the best part are kind of the big mission milestones. I mean, clearly launches are just awesome. Um, I haven't been to a ton of them, believe it or not. You just go to the ones that you need to work. I think I've counted the other day. I may have been to nine or 10 launches over the last 12 years. 
Um, most Insight's recently, Insight, right? Yeah, I know. It, it, I think <laughs> you and I are still debating of whether there was really a launch or there was just a loud rock band or something. <laughs> just a NASA cover up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Another NASA cover up. <laughs> Another NASA cover up. <laughs> um. Yeah, don't get me started on the flat earthers. Um, or, or, or like the arrival events, you know, Juno arriving at Jupiter or InSight landing at Mars. Those are just cool. I mean, it's like crazy amount of work leading up to it, months and, and sometimes years of communication efforts leading up to it. But um, and then, boy, that, you know, the day that happens, it, it, it's you're in the moment and you're clicking off things and you're dealing with press conferences and media interviews and executing and helping with social media and, every, you know, conferences and guest ops or whatever it is. It's all cool, but you're exhausted from it. But those are clearly the best days without without question. Um, are we catching you right before like the crazy rush? Because insights coming up real soon. So is it about to like things about to get crazy? It's crazy right now. Um, Already is. Yeah, I, you just I, decided that this is a good way to spend a Friday night during the crazy time period of your Friday night. And you know, it's cool because insight happens, um, and, and you'll know what I'm talking about, Anthony. Jake, I think you're not so aware of this. There's this thing here called Thanksgiving. And, uh, <laughs> he's early on that man he's I already know. he's been done yeah. that for weeks that 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 checkbox is done man i'm over it i, I, I get it <laughs> um and it happens whatever it is one two three four days after thanksgiving yeah um so kind of weird timing and of course there's something about jpo and planetary arrivals and and them landing <laughs> on on holidays and i have spent many a holiday whether it's um uh, Thanksgiving at Kennedy Space Center that I've done with Mars Science Laboratory launch or um, um, Stardust um, arrival on, um, oh, what was it, um, Valentine's Day or Grail lunar orbit insertion on New Year's Eve or Phoenix um, landing on Memorial <laughs> Day. This list is longer than the amount of names in Orbital ATK's heritage. <laughs> Pathfinder on Independence Day, New Horizons on New Year's Day. Day. Oh, what was the other Independence Day? Um, Juno. Juno J-O-I. Juno was, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's right, yep. If you go, and you can go even across the pond. You've got, like, Mars Express on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. That's funny how that, how that all works, but it's cool. Yeah. Not going to complain when you when you is get that, to go. Is it sort of related to like the it tests better on Sundays kind of uh, thing that is known in the industry, where it's like, oh, it's you know what, we can let it sit for Saturday. So. It's way better on a Sunday. Nah, I don't think so. No, but physics physics your, doesn't really let you yeah, fudge it. Huh? Physics thing kind of doesn't lie. You got to you got to live with it. <laughs> the solar system doesn't care about statutory holidays, so right. Yeah. Okay, and then you can't evade the other part of the question, though. Worst part of the job. <laughs> I kind of forgot the other part of the question. Worst part of the job. Yeah. Or you, you can take it as hard as part two if you want. Yeah, I guess it's like any modern day um, office worker. It's the mundaneness of sitting in front of a screen, you know, for five hours and dealing with email and the onslaught of, of uh, 200 emails coming in your inbox and everybody asking for and needing for or saying, hey, you're late on this. So, you know, that's that's kind of the <laughs> mundaneness, but it's the stuff that has to be done in the background. Um, to to make all the the coolness happen that, that that's public. So you know, it's not it's not that bad. They're not bad days. Conference calls, am I right? Oof. Conference calls. I got a lot of those going on any given week. Um, they they do they do chill out um, at the toward the end of the week. It's funny. They like really start heavy on Monday, get crazy by Wednesday, and then 
today I only had three, so it was it was pretty pretty light day. It was nice. I, I have another question now. So you're talking to two two non professional independent podcasters. Um, you got a lot of experience. What tips do you have for us? How do you how do you engage people? How do you get the word out? First of all, I think you guys do a great job. I'd far from call you non-professional. So I think that, you know, the, the podcast is, is kind of seeing this cool new resurgence in the last two years, right? It was like the thing to do 10 years ago, maybe eight years, five years ago. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we don't need to be doing live video. We need to be doing podcasts. And boy, everybody's doing them. So you guys are in kind of a thick market right now. Um, I think you do a great job um, with the um you know, the social media promotion of it and, and, and kind of staying in touch. You guys are like more in touch with what's going on in the industry sometimes than I am. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've got my blinders on sometimes and I'm hammering on one, one or two, three specific things. It's like, wow, I didn't realize that happened. Well, see, the problem is that you're, you're reversing this cause and effect. <laughs> the, the cause was we've never stopped reading this stuff and we're like well maybe we should be productive with all of this time that we spend reading all of these threads right uh, and right. that for me anyway that's where it came from i think jake is similar so it wasn't like we started a podcast and then read a bunch it was just like man i should turn this into time that i don't feel bad about anymore because i'm spending <laughs> a lot of time on these reddit threads <laughs> you're enthusiast first that's what you are yeah. right <clears throat> you know I, I think you know at least jake you do a good job with um you know, being very focused around one topic, and that's Mars. And I think you do a pretty good job, too, about not getting too opinionated with one thing or the other. You seem to be like a lover of everything that goes to Mars, and that's cool, right? Um, whether it's science or, or future human exploration or whatever. Um, Miko, you know, seems pretty launch industry specific and, and and opinionated i think yeah, i don't i don't have the non-opinionated <laughs> version cool, of jake's <laughs> i don't know not nominal very well i'm kind of starting <laughs> to learn it a little bit better so that's cool um <clears throat> you guys do a great job it's cool and, and i love the fact that we've got different voices because not everyone can be um you know neil degrice and 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 do uh star talk right so um we've got to have these these cool niche um, different voices out there and, and definitely, I, I bet you guys are doing well with them, but you know, I, 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 that's why Jake, when you asked me, Hey, can we get some guys to talk about Mars base camp or talk about insight? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, they, they, you know, they appreciate talking to you guys and, and to your audiences. So you guys do a good job. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Jake, Jake, all of a sudden, turned this into a strategic marketing like conversation. He's like, "Hey, can you give me some tips and maybe some pointers?" And it's going right in the front of the website now. It's like We Martians endorsed by Gary from <laughs> Lockheed. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk about that endorsement thing. Yeah, it's not it's not too opinionated. Does a good job. Yeah, that's all we need. We need more opinion in news reporting. Yeah, we, yeah, that's what. We <laughs> so, uh, like, what's what's going on with Orion? Why don't we dig into a mission a little bit? So, you said you're working a little more on that right now. I mean, I'm I'm trying to pay attention to that news a little bit. It's it's a few items down my list, but uh, I think service modules on its or it actually has arrived in Florida. There's a couple capsules in Florida too. It looks like that production line is. Is moving a bit there. What's uh, what are what, what are you working on with Orion? Um, yeah, all of that. There's a uh, 
like you said, the European service module, which was built by um, Airbus out in um, Brenham, Germany, yeah, for the European Space Agency, uh, you know, is, is, is done. It got shipped over the uh, over the ocean. Um, what was it? Over the weekend. It was on the 5th and then arrived on the 6th um, in Florida on a big old Antonov 124, 125, big Antonov. Those planes are crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're cool. Um, quick, quick little um, um, side note because I like to do go down rabbit hole sometimes. The um, we used to use Antonovs to fly the uh, Atlas V um, booster out of um, Huddleton, and we flew them um, on, drove them out of uh, out of our Waterton Canyon facility where we built Atlas V for a long time, and drove them out to the Denver International Airport, put them on Antonovs, and then flew them to the Cape or flew them to Vandenberg. So. Um, Cool, cool plane. So, anyways, um, the the European service module is at the uh, operations and checkout building, the Neil Armstrong operation checkout building there at the Kennedy Space Center. Um, and we, along with some of the uh, Airbus um, guys that came and gals that came over, are going to start um, putting things together, and they're going to put the um, um, uh, crew module adapter, which is kind of the large ring, it's going to um, bolt on and, and attach and integrate to the service module. And then those two combined are called the service module. That's, you know, when if you look at Orion and you see the service module, there's kind of this big flaring bearing around the uh, around the middle. That's that crew module adapter that we, we Lockheed Martin, built here in the States. Um, so there'll be a nice big event this coming Friday the 16th, something for all of your uh, viewers to watch. It's going to be live on NASA television, I think. I should know this better. It's um, 9 o'clock Eastern. I know the dates are just in a you know a massive amount of emails and all of that other stuff. But um, <laughs> the administrator is going to be there and talking, and, and um, Jan Warren is going to be there. And um, so a lot of other really cool um, um, folks, and, and it's a great time to celebrate this uh, big milestone, and then it is pedal to the metal. Um, 404 days is what my folks tell me of um, integration and testing before we turn around and deliver it um, to the ground for uh, for launch. So a lot, it, so a lot, lots to be done. That Neil Armstrong checkout building is pretty awesome. That was uh, we got to go in there on that NASA social uh, back in at EFT one. And walk through that whole thing. There wasn't anything particularly of interest in it at the moment because we were just there, you know, the day before launch or whatever. Right. Uh, but they still have those, you know, they've got all the work platforms there that even, you know, Apollo went through and all of that. So it was uh, pretty special. It was actually good that there wasn't anything there because I got to go into it. Whereas otherwise, I would definitely not be allowed in that thing. Uh, and Jake certainly would not be allowed in there. <laughs> national. He would definitely not be allowed in there. Uh, but that's... Uh, I think there were some good. Didn't Orion back EFT one Orion go through there as well? That's where they assembled. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the service module. Yeah, because yeah, there's some great photos from that assembly uh, as well, which I'm sure there will be even better ones this time around. So the, the really cool building. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, the history of is that's where Apollo um, did its final checkout before it was stacked on to, to Saturn V. So back when we um, you know started the Orion project. Um, you know, part of our, our idea of where to go build this thing was actually build it on the property at Kennedy where it's going to launch. So we took over the ONC, completely refurbished it, made it into a 
modern manufacturing um, facility, air bearings and portable clean room walls and HEPA filters. And it's, and um, we've been building the full integration of Orion happens there in that building. So the, the, the main structural elements like the, the pressure vessel for the crew module um, and uh, get um, put together or, or welded up out at Mishu where, um, you know, NASA Mishu uh, just outside of New Orleans. And that's where we built um, 135 space shuttle fuel tanks, um, external fuel tanks there. So kind of that same stir friction welding process. And of course, SLS, you know, um, tanks, Boeing builds um, that whole booster out there. So, so the, the main propulsion um, uh, vessel or not propulsion, the, the um, pressure vessel, the capsule, gets built out there and then shipped out to Florida, but then that's where it all gets integrated. All the avionics come in, the, uh, the propulsion elements, everything, and it gets put together. So, yeah, it's 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 a cool facility, modern manufacturing facility, and we've and EM two, the uh, the first crewed Orion spacecraft is being built out there right now. We just finished the propulsion. Um, I keep saying propulsion. The the pressure vessel. And if we had Mishu and we shipped it over there a couple months ago, and now it's getting um, put together. Hmm. That, that, um, the Armstrong Center, that's been recently refurbished, hasn't it? Like, didn't they do a bunch of work in there? So, um, the, the office buildings area is where part of it, I think it's up on the third floor. You guys might know this better than I do. That's where the, 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 uh, astronaut, um, crew quarters are before they uh, go off and do their flights and after they come back. So that is what got refurbished recently, you know, got all updated because, of course, we're going to be starting flying astronauts out of uh, out of Kennedy again. So let's get them some really cool new crew quarters. They also have in there still, they, they still have the uh, vacuum chambers that they did the all-up uh, Apollo vacuum tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they've been used in, in quite a while, but those are still, there's like two giant things there. Um, right before you get to the the work bays that that are on like the outgoing side of the building, uh, it's it's pretty awesome. There's some good photos online. We weren't I remember we weren't allowed to take photos in there. Yeah. Um, but there's some good photos of the work that they've been doing online. I was just checking them out. We can post some in the show notes for viewing later. I was gonna say they probably had to put like Wi-Fi and USB ports into the walls in those crew quarters. That's basically what they did, right? <laughs> They, they had to change out the uh, 30 pin iPod docks, like all the old <laughs> hotels that you've stayed in. <laughs> and run an Ethernet jack to the TV. Like, ah, crazy new future, yeah, like right? These, these astronauts, you know, the last time we launched astronauts, there were iPods. The, this time, uh, no more iPods. We got to change this whole lightning port thing. Oh, funny. <laughs> when it comes to Orion, I mean, you've got this vehicle that's going to go into deep space and it's going to carry people. And that's something we haven't done. Um, well, I say we, but the United States hasn't done um, for a very long time. What is that like to work with something like that? Like, do you feel weight in that? Do you feel um, like a, a sense of importance that changes how you interact with the work you do? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's it's been different and in some ways similar from dealing with the planetary missions. You know, the, these planetary missions, um, Juno, Insight, Lucy, you know, Pickett, they, they are like lean and mean and they run fast. And, you know, you you win a proposal, you design it, you build it, you launch it, you fly it, you do science. Um, sometimes they do extended science, sometimes because of the mission, the, the mission's done and boom. 
and and you know there, there's a lot of um, emotion around that because of just where they're going and they're so cool and the science that they're finding and they're re- rewriting science books but when you're dealing with something like Orion, I mean, you're, you're dealing kind of with that human side of it. And, and, and this is, you know, our nations and honestly, our world's next big major exploration system. So, you know, count them on one hand, count them on half of one hand. We had Apollo and we had Space Shuttle and we're soon going to have um, going to have Orion. And so I think we're kind of in the early days. You know, I, I, you know if you guys have been to the Kennedy Visitor Complex, and, and you've seen the Atlantis um, exhibit and you go through that cool um, storytelling that they do. And there's this uh, movie, right? I, 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 Anthony's nodding his head. I oh, think it, Jake is so one good. of the best experiences. Okay, so, like they, they just nailed that. So that movie is, is, is about how they, you know, in the, in the um, um, throughout the seventies kind of, we're going to build the next great thing after Apollo. And, and, but this time it's going to be a glider folks. And, and then it kind of goes through all of the, the turmoil and the challenges and all of this awesomeness that's going on. And then boom, we finally launched space shuttle and then the, the screen goes up and there's Atlantis and everybody has a tear in their eye and it's cool. But I always kind of think we're in the, we're in that movie right now with Orion. Um, the mass public doesn't know a lot about it. They kind of hear about it. They keep hearing these. They actually kind of get it confused with some of the commercial systems and that's okay um because none of them have flown yet um but we're in that movie right now where back in the day you know before everybody knew what space shuttle was and space shuttle was doing amazing things um you know it it was being designed and built and it's only launched once and now it's getting ready to launch again and you know in a in a year and a half or so and so just kind of project yourself out five or ten years from now the world's going to know it in, in mass, it's going to have already been going to the moon for, you know, quite a few times. And, and so we're in that movie right now and it's, it's, it, it's exciting. It's exciting. That's a very poetic way to put it. <laughs> I, there was a, just thinking back, you said, you know, it's launched once, uh, the Orion mission that flew mm-hmm. this actually, this photo behind me is from, uh, the causeway the morning that it was actually the morning that it scrubbed before the morning that it launched. Oh, cool. Um, but that, that was a particularly, been to a bunch of launches but that one for some reason on the causeway had a different feel to it because it was a extraordinarily grand production the whole week leading up to it It was this giant rocket this huge thing um and the cape hadn't seen activity like that in years at that point you know it had been like three years since the shuttle um and it was the first time that the cape had that vibe back and i think everyone there was so excited to have that thing back uh and i think that was like one of my main, the things that I think back to about being there for it was seeing like the whole area get so pumped up. Uh, and I'm, you know, knowing that the next couple of years are going to be filled with astronauts taking off from the Cape again. Uh, I'm very excited to, to have that area, have that all year round now, rather than, you know, once every once in a while, they have these big launches, uh, EFT-1, Falcon Heavy, where like yeah. everyone floods in, flights get expensive, hotels sell out. Um, I can't even imagine what, both like the first crewed missions of commercial crew and then the first uh, EM2 is or EM1, yeah. first of all, is going to be absolutely insane. It's going to be a circus. Um, Gary, if you go, we are going to be doing an off-nominal meetup at Epcot. <laughs> I've been talking about this every time. We're getting prepared for it. Uh, you are. This is an open invitation. 
So EM1 Circus at Epcot. It's going to be fantastic. Did you, say if, you say if I go? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Everyone's going to be there. I think everyone we've ever known in the space world is going to be there for that. So, Dude, I'm the PR guy for Orion at Lockheed Martin. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you were like, well, you know, it depends on which launch you get to go to. Yeah. So, hey, I was just leaving it open. I don't know if you got a lot of calls that day yeah. or the calendar will be clear. I don't know. <laughs> Too many telecons. <laughs> yeah, what what day is it launching on? Because if it's a Monday or Tuesday, <laughs> no luck. <laughs> yeah, if it's late in the right. week, we're good. But All right. Hey, I like it, man. Um, we got we got rockets and we've got Disney and Epcot. And, and we've got um, Off Nominal. That, that's like a trifecta right there. I like it. Yeah, we it's, just... We just have a rule, and you can interpret it either way. Either you always start at Mexico or you never start at Mexico. Depending on who you ask, the rule is different, but it's a rule. I'm a clockwise guy, so I started so Mexico. You started Mexico. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but we all got to go do Mission Space, right? And we got to do the, the, the extreme one. But that's why you finish at Mexico, because you, you end uh, with Mexico, and then you're right there. But then you're, Well, see, I do Mission Space first. And we just went like in March. I That's took my smart. two my two um, young adult kids, and we haven't been like in six years. But we did Mission Space first, and then we went and ate our way around the the lake. So you don't like <laughs> eat eat your way around the lake and then go into a centrifuge. You can do both. I guess. I mean, hey, some people might. I guess. All right. I'm, I'm game. Uh, can neither confirm nor deny. It really depends on what kind of outcome you're hoping for. <laughs> I think we're gonna do we're gonna do like a couple of tests here. We're gonna send half of the group starting in Mexico, and doing Mission Space first, and we're gonna send half the group starting in Canada, Mission Space last, and see which one turns out better. Well, what if we if we did it that way? Then we you have two meetups, one halfway around the circle where the two halfway, groups combine, yeah. <laughs> and then you meet up back at Mission Space, and you both end at on the it. End. That's how yep. you do it. There's a big old high five there at the at the America one in the middle. We'll all go watch <laughs> the movie and then and then we'll fake keep... Philadelphia, baby. I love it. Yeah, is that the one that's that's halfway America? Yeah, man. Come I don't on. remember. I've I've only been there like once, so <laughs> it's far away from me. <laughs> I've seen some fun some fun um, chat going on, and and one guy's talking about night before him on Gary's trash to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I, I don't know if he was um, listening earlier, if I actually said it, but I um, lived in El Paso, Texas for 20 years, which is on the border of Juarez, Mexico. So, uh, so you know, went to high school. Yeah, I went to high school and college in, um, in El Paso. He's trained for this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've got it all planned out. I mean, I don't really see uh, any more reason to to keep talking about this. I think I think it's locked in. Yeah. Sounds yeah. done. Just don't do it on a day <laughs> that I have another appointment, but I'll come over there, man. That's all cool. Uh, do you want to pivot to planetary stuff? What are you excited about? Insights, Osiris Rex? There's kind of a lot going oh, on for you gosh, guys. There's so much going on. That's Juno. Like, in like a week. Because doesn't Osiris Rex hit like December 3rd? It hits like December 3rd, I think, is the Osiris Rex arrival it's at Benny. Arrival, yep. So, yeah, so, so arrival. It. So we, you, you know, if you all have been seeing the images, that the, the these approach images of Bennu, holy moly, those are so cool, and 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 if anything, what what's amazing is that they look a lot like the radar imagery that they've been taking, you know, for years as far as the shape of the of the asteroid and all. And now there's these this cool um, rock pile held together by low gravity, and it's actually got this big old 
boulder hanging out on the bottom yeah, of it. Yeah, that thing's so you huge. You know they're going to go look at that thing up close, right? That's so cool. So it, it's approaching, and and you're right that the um, the actual true arrival date is December third. But you know we don't actually go down and and take a sample for um, for quite a while. Yeah, a few months, right? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Year. So oh. we, we, we then spend the next, so, so the, the sample date is, is July 2020 when we do what's called the, the touch and go um, event. Um, so between those times, which is what, a year and a half, um, they basically uh, just image the heck out of that, out of that uh, asteroid I mean, in all different spectra and all different resolutions with the cameras and just and then sit there and analyze it. So it, it, it's a lot going on, you know, in, the, in that next year and a half. The reality is they have a lot of time because there's only, they have to stay there um, until March of 2001, I think is when it leaves Bennu. So they have plenty of time. There's no reason to rush it. It's all orbital mechanics, right? We right, right, right. Yeah. Fly across the solar system and come back to uh, Earth, you know, Star Trek style. So we're going to be hanging out there until 2021, anyways, early 2021. So that makes sense. You you can map it and get the best sample, pick the spot that you want to go to. You know, it's a good uh, idea. That's it, right? I mean, so you know, we we went to this asteroid Bennu for a very specific reason because it's one of the 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 few that are out there that first it's a neo we didn't have to go out to the belt it's one that's actually in orbit around the sun that's near going by earth often um and and it's carbonaceous so it, it's got organic compounds on it or at least we hope it does the spectra that they had used you know in analyzing it earlier showed that that it, it had organic compounds on it, and that's what we're after to go uh, you know find and, and and research those uh those compounds so they want to, you know, map it down to just a crazy um, resolution and, and find the perfect spot that, you know, first of all, isn't isn't full of big rocks and boulders because this tag sam head, which is just a, a marvel in itself, this kind of reverse vacuum thing that we invented, the um, you know, it doesn't work well with big boulders. It's more about trying to get into kind of like sand and and small gravel and that's ultimately what we're wanting to collect up so we got to find those areas um and then we got to find areas that are maybe you know have higher concentration of organic matter than others because it's all distributed um you know randomly um so yeah a lot lots going on um, and so we're approaching it we're putting the brakes on we did a couple of those um trim maneuvers to slow the spacecraft down because we were screaming in to try to catch up with it, and now we're putting the brakes on, tapping the brakes, and slowing down. And um, you know, they they talk about going in orbit into orbit with it, and the reality is, you, you, we basically are kind of doing formation flying with it. It, it. It's such a small body that it really doesn't have a, a ton of gravity, and not enough gravity to keep this. Um, the spacecraft uh, in in orbit around it. So unlike a spacecraft that's orbiting, you know, the the moon or the Earth or Mars, and gravity actually keeps it in its orbit. It that won't the gravity around Bennu won't do that. So we actually have to kind of do this cool formation flying. But boy, we wrap that we we orbit that thing kind of like a ball of string. We just it's not over the poles, over the poles. It's like over the poles, over the equator, over the you know big elliptical ones and. Tor- Real tight little ones, so. I mean, that's the good part is that you don't have to fight orbital velocity, you know, in the way that we do on Earth to change your plane. You kind of are rendezvoused with it. You can 
oh, you know what? I'm going to fly up a little and then over the thing. It's and just like a shuttle fly around. around. Side. So, yeah, so Anthony, awesome. yeah, I think I think our, our, our flight folks would argue with you that that's not that they wish they had the the, <laughs> the consistency of physics that's right. very well, easily to, to map the whole out time. on. Easily to map out in, in, in MATLAB. I'm not saying it's not more work to be constantly driving around this right. thing. But... But so, so it's a, here's a small body, and we have never gone into uh, flown um, at some of the uh, altitudes of these small bodies that we will with OSIRIS-REx. I mean, we're going really low on some of these. And so it's the unknowns of how these the small body and the, the rough distribution of the gravity that it does have and how that effect is going to happen. So that's actually going to be some of the things we're going to do over the next year and a half. As we fly back, fly over, we're going to try to understand how the spacecraft reacts when we get real low and when we get over high spots or this and that. And we'll actually do a couple little um, practice events, approach events, stick the arm out and, and do our approach event and then pull out before we actually... <clears throat> touched down on it and, and practice that a couple times because this is all a first. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not like we're landing on Mars or anything. I mean, <laughs> we've never... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you just need to hire more fighter pilots to fly your spacecraft because they love having manual control over everything. It's great. <laughs> yeah, manual control. What What is the, the um, light time delay at... at um, I, I should know this, but maybe I can look it up real quick. While we're at Bennu, the the light time delay isn't isn't crazy, but it's um it's something like four minute light time delay or two minute light time delay. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, it sounds about right. Four four I say four to eight probably is the range you're looking at. Yeah, so I know um insight is um eight minutes lifetime delay at, at EDL. Um, but I, I, I'll try to look it up real fast, but I don't know, but it, it's not as bad as, as out at Mars right now, but it's still, you know, you're flying on, you're making this spacecraft do things autonomously, right? You, you send up these commands to it, these codes to it days or even weeks in advance and on, and on a time code, boom, the commands pull up and they execute and it does that. So whether you're landing on Mars or whether you're trying to do a touch and go or whether you're firing thrusters on, on OSIRIS-REx to change its velocity and kind of start going over the poles, it's all doing it by itself. And we're just sitting back here on Earth watching it. I always kind of say it's like watching the Super Bowl on an eight-second time delay, and you don't know if Peyton Manning's like cocked back and thrown that awesome, you know, pass, and, and, and they've touched, you know, touched down, and we won the Super Bowl or, or they, uh, you know, they dropped the ball. But the reality is it happened over there. But here on TV, it looks like it's in live, you know, it's live to us. So here's, here's a good example of this. If you live close enough to a stadium, you will know if a touchdown happens before you see it because you will hear the fireworks go off, which happened several times to us last year during the Super Bowl or during oh, the, uh, during so the cool. championship game. When we're like, oh, oh here comes another one. <laughs> Oh, that's the worst. And there were there were a lot of touchdowns against the Vikings. Or or yeah. Mr. Miko, the uh, my favorite one is um you know watching a rocket launch live, right? Oh man, it's well, almost, hey, it, if you want to talk about hearing a rocket launch, you've got a better story of that at at uh, Insight. So we, we do. don't, don't we look had, at me. You two we are had, the we had no king idea. of hearing <laughs> hearing launches. But on a clear day. Um, you know, and you're two or three miles away and you're sitting there and whether it's at night or even at the day, you know, you're, you're, you're listening to the, the countdown speakers or you're on the phone and you're listening and, and then you're hearing three, two, one ignition. 
and you you look across the water or the parking lot or whatever and you see this flash of light and it's dead quiet and the smoke's bellowing and it's like your 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 head's going that's not the way rockets work every time i've seen them on video or on you know it, it, it's kaboom and, and you know and 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 you're you're just a little confused you're like crazy excited and this thing is rising and all of a sudden this low quiet thunder starts bellowing and getting louder and louder and it's just it doesn't you're, it, it screws with your head because of that sound delay from that three or four miles away yeah yeah that threw me off for my first launch too which was uh yeah I, falcon heavy was my first launch and so I, I set a high bar and it was yeah it was just that experience you described it you, you can't underestimate how crazy that is. So well, we have that captured on video where you we we took a video of the launch and of us watching the launch and there during that silent moment of uh, awe, you see me grab Jake like oh, it's it's doing it, it's doing the thing, and then it's like <laughs> seconds before this thing gets there. I see Chris on um on um line says it's um seven point one eight minutes on um, one way light time delay. Whoa. Which which sounds about right. That's kind of what we were guessing, four to eight minutes. So, uh, correct guess again. <laughs> so you know, fourteen minutes for for us to send a signal, receive a signal, and and send a confirmation back that we that it got that signal. Um, so you know, <clears throat> you don't joystick this stuff, right? It's um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and that's what kind of hurts your head. You know, I'm a liberal arts major, man. So math, math doesn't work with me very well, and and so that's what hurts your head is like the size of our solar system and how far these planets are. And so, you know, we talk about the the space station is 240 miles above us, and you th- you think that's really far, um, and and the moon's 240,000 miles away. But yet, the, I, I look out the window and the moon's right there, and it's really big, and I can see craters, but it's a thousand times farther than the space station is above us and then mars you know is is even farther especially when it's across on the other side of the solar system um, from us but even when it's at its closest it's what like 34 million miles away when it's at its closest or so just the, the distances to where something traveling the fastest thing we know the speed of light it still takes eight damn minutes to get to us But then there's things like Parker Solar Probe blowing my mind with like, oh, it's at Venus. Okay. Oh, it's at the sun now. Made it by the sun. It's like, oh my God, that (laughs) thing is moving. It made it to Venus. What was it? Venus in like six weeks or whatever. Something it's like got to have like like measurable time dilation, right? Like it's ne- <laughs> it's now like like four minutes older than it was when it like launched. You know, <laughs> right, 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 right. That's good. Oh man, yeah, New Horizons, right? Nine years to get to Pluto. Right. <laughs> like, come on. And Parker yeah, Solar yeah. was like, man, I'll just make it to Venus in six weeks, no problem. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Alan yeah. Stern had like a, a a job in between from when it launched <laughs> to when it arrived. <laughs> he had a different job. So I mean, and that's cool. And now it's going <clears throat> out to the that new body out there in the Kuiper Belt, and so psh, that thing's still screaming out there. By the way, quick little trivia: APL built the spacecraft, but we Lockheed Martin built the RTGs on um, New Horizons. We used to be back wow. in the day built all of the RTGs. We we built them on set on um, Cassini and Voyager and um, Pioneer and Galileo. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm think missing a bunch of them. We built most all of the RTGs back in the day. The, the, we haven't built the more recent ones, the MMRTGs that are on Curiosity. 
You guys got your paws on everything, huh? Try, man. You gotta make beer cans like Ball, man. You gotta get into. You gotta diversify. <laughs> yeah, do a spinoff beer can company. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, so we're wrapping up here. Um, we have oh. kind of two segments left. Um, the first one is our new segment, which is still getting its feet under it. It's called the Lightning Round. Hold on, Jake. And I, got... I forgot about our whole. I forgot about our stick with this one. I juice it a little. How's that? The juice. <laughs> okay, but then you, but then you gotta dial it back so I can talk though. Oh, okay. We're pros. We are pros. <laughs> All right. All right so it's ten questions. Uh, the the point is you gotta kind of answer them sort of quickly. Go with your gut. Um, they're they're fun. Don't worry. Um, and we'll we'll start with uh yeah they'll be a little bit silly sometimes. So just bear with me. But we'll start with uh we always start with the calibration question. And so the calibration question, question number one is, there are a lot of different Martins in the world. For example, the city, Martin, Tennessee. You have Martin Guitars. That's a guitar company. Pennsylvania, Maybe baby. Martin, the 1992 American sitcom. But of all the Martins, what's your favorite Martin? Dean Martin. <laughs> Dean Martin. <laughs> Off the board answer. <laughs> you went in a different direction than I expected on that one. <laughs> Come on, man. He's unfair. The, the rat pack. <laughs> cool. All right. I was going to I was going to give you uh what the correct answer was, but I have changed it to Dean Martin, so you are correct. <laughs> okay. He's been right convinced. On, I'm <laughs> you you're the first off nominal guest to successfully change an answer for the lightning round. <laughs> All right. Question two. If you could send 100 Marco-sized insights to Mars or one insight-sized Marco, which would you send? Marco-sized insights so we could land on a lot more different parts of the planet instead of just one area. So definitely Marco-sized, 100 of them. That'd be cool. (laughs) I think Bruce Banner would probably agree with you on that one for sure. All right, question three. If you had an opportunity to bring two independent podcasters to tour the Lockheed Martin facility, who would they be? So independence <laughs> of choice because I think Neil deGrasse would probably be one of them, but I don't know that he's so independent. So mm. I think he's big podcasting. Yeah. He's got lobbyists or something. There's an Anthony guy out there whose name last name I can't pronounce very well. <laughs> and there's this Robin guy that you know anytime they're out in the Littleton area I think we could probably get them on our property and take them for a cool tour listen he's a foreign national this has presented problems to us in the past so you might have to finagle something we, we, we can work it we're going to give you lots of notice <laughs> he does come from a country with good robotic arms so he could probably add a little something to like you know you might need some Canada help arm. sometime Canada arm we come in peace <laughs> alright question four Worst acronym, Insight or Osiris Rex? Um, yes. <laughs> o- Osiris Rex. It is the worst one. You're right. <laughs> you're, you're doing really good at the lightning round. <laughs> hey, quick, quick He's trivia. Crushing it. Quick trivia. Maven, acronym or just a word? Acronym. Jake? Mm-hmm. Mars atmosphere and volatile 
uh, evolution, I think. Evolution like and, and, and to cram the acronym in, they had to yeah. put the end at the end of the evolution the on end. it. Exactly. So they did like a they did like an omega capital yeah. first and last letter. <laughs> yeah. So does that mean like I'm thinking like the last four Mars stuff that you guys have built, uh, or last three? So we got Insight, you built uh, Maven, you built Phoenix. Uh, they've only Phoenix has not been an acronym. Is that the one? Phoenix that one? wasn't an acronym. Um, yeah, because it, it rose from the ashes from being the uh, the uh, um, orbiter that I mean the lander that we had to put in storage, um, in, in while we were building um, Odyssey. Right, 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 right. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, question five: Would you rather land on Mars in the Lockheed Martin Mars Base Camp lander, or on the Moon with the new Lockheed Martin Human Lunar Lander? Ooh, wow! I'm going for Mars Base Camp, man. It is Mars. That's a sweet ride. Um, a lot of in common between the two of them. Which I one's going to happen? Yeah, a lot of common, a <laughs> lot of Orion inside. Um, but it, but just from a design standpoint, it's pretty cool. And I mean, come on, landing on Mars. Yeah, Mars lander looks way cooler. Moon, the moon <laughs> one looks like reasonable. The Mars one looks like a cool sci-fi, so, awesome spaceship. Because of the of the, of the aero shell, you got to have the uh, you know you're dealing yeah, with atmosphere, and that's why you get that's why it's all slick and cool looking. And, and it's the got like one. some shuttle esque elements to it. It's just yeah. like a real good fusion. SR seventy one actually. It's got oh some, yeah, right. Some SR that's even better. And sort of um, some materials on it. So now yeah, cool, and right, I like right, that. Right. Okay, question six. Favorite astronaut? Interesting. Um, Bruce McCandless. Oh, that's a great nice. one. That is a great That is great a great one. choice. A friend of mine passed away oh, earlier man. this year. Um, I went to his funeral, um, would go to lunch with him once in a while, and he was just such a cool guy. I, I didn't actually get to know him back in the day when he was flying MMU. But, <clears throat> you know, um, graduated the, the same um, – um, Navy uh, Academy um, class as John McCain. Um, Whoa, I didn't. I never knew that. Was the uh, Capcom on Apollo Eleven? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yep, I did know that. That was a good trivia. Was, um, yeah. was on the uh, shuttle deployment. I mean, shuttle it was a, a shuttle on shuttle with for Hubble deployment with Charlie Bolden, um, and then of course was the first man to fly untethered in the MMU, um, a la. Um, George Clooney. <laughs> Way better than him, though. <laughs> you know, I always got to do the, being the good PR guy, do the Lockheed Martin plug. We built the MMU out here <laughs> in Denver, and that's, you know, partially why why Bruce ultimately ended up um, living out here. So, yeah, I miss him. He's a good guy. I go back and forth on whether that was the bravest thing any astronaut's ever done or not. Like, right. like <laughs> of course it is. Dude, he was going to burn up if he went wrong. Like, that dude was going to just orbital decay his way back into Earth if something went wrong. That's like... I'll just take it out to, like, 300 meters, guys. I got this. Don't worry. Just, like, pss, pss, pss. See you later. <laughs> and that picture of him, like... Ugh. Best space selfie ever. It's not really a selfie, I guess. Not really a selfie. That would be crazy. Still. He would have really long arms. Yeah. But truly, like, I mean, other than probably Neil Armstrong standing on... <clears throat> on the surface of the moon, that is probably this, in my mind, probably the second most iconic astronaut image out there of him floating out there on that menu. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, 100%. Man, that is an amazing answer to favorite astronaut and one that I have never heard anyone give to that question. And that is like, man, that is up there in what I would, if I had to vote for one favorite astronaut answer, that, <laughs> that is my vote right there. 
Okay, question seven. Um, how long is too long to spend inside of an Orion capsule in space? Like, what is the the, the, the rollover in days where you're like, no, it's time to go home. We got to not be in here anymore. Seven days, 10 days, 20 days. Probably <clears throat> just Orion more than 21 days because that's right now what it's rated to go just by itself. Put another <laughs> habitat on it like a gateway. Um, and then we could go a couple months, and then you got a little moving room. But four people in there for 21 days, I think, is going to be about the max of um, of comfort. <laughs> <laughs> That's when the toilets start to overflow. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Question eight: Favorite Orion capsule, EFT one, EM one, or EM two? Woo! Interesting. One's flown, one's about to fly, and one's going to have astronauts on it. So. Um, you know, right now EM one's my favorite because that's the one that's being built. And it's, dang it, we got to get that thing to fly. But if you line them all up, it's going to be EM two because that's going to be the one that's going to have crew going out to the moon and, and making history. Question nine: Favorite interview you've ever set up with a journalist? Wow, interesting. Um, got too many of them. I feel like the insight, Lauren Grush insight on that on that cargo plane was we, we learned so cool you know and, but we and we've taken uh, quite a few um, um reporters on 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 planes out to different um launches taking them on c-17s and c-5s um, one that's jumping to my mind is, and it's kind of a little known fact is um i was interviewed by matt lauer live on the today show uh, a couple yeah, whatever it was, about a decade ago, about 10 years ago. So that was kind of interesting, actually, doing live TV. So you both have to set up the interview, but then also be the subject. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, favorite interview. Um, you, there, there was this um, one time when we did this uh, live video chat with some guy that has this podcast. And we had um, we were talking about Mars Base Camp, and it was with Steve Jolly. So that was probably <laughs> one of my more favorite ones. I really wasn't fishing for that one. I really wanted to know if there was a good one I should go look up. <laughs> he saves the fishing for answers on the first yeah, yeah, two yeah. questions. Yeah, and then there's he just been so many of them over the years and so many topics. It, it, it's cool stuff. <laughs> All right, last question. What's the weirdest interview you set up besides this one? <laughs> wow, weirdest one. You had any flat earthers? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I'm just drawing a blank oh, on man. that because they're, they're all of varying scale, you know, on a scale of grayness, right? Some of them are like, okay, I think we're going to have to back up and kind of explain where space starts and how spaceships get up there and why. And then you get some reporters that are like, oh, man, man, these guys are sharp. You've got to be really specific when you're talking with them because they want to get into the weeds. So, I, I, man, I'm I'm drawing a bank on some of the weirdest ones, but we've had we've had some weird ones over the years. We try to be good, <laughs> you know, trying to be the good PR guy. You don't want to get into weird situations with a good spokesperson and burning up their time. You kind of yeah, want to yeah. do your due diligence and say, you know, I don't know that that's really worth my spokesperson, vice president's time. And you kind of go to try to deal with them offline. And maybe I'll do a phone interview with them by myself and try to get them up to speed and answer their questions and not go into weirdness. So we don't get too too wacky or loony at times. We don't do that. Well, you you get a lot of them, but you don't pass those <laughs> up, is what I'm picking up. <laughs> 
You personally get a lot yeah, of weird just, it, requests. Yeah, a lot of weird emails, period. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. That, you, are you filtering this one, too? <laughs> Is that why we're talking to you? <laughs> yeah. Man, that Microsoft like chunk you filter come visit. sure does work well. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. You guys have a great like uh, artificial intelligence email reading algorithm that sorts them for you. <laughs> like, oh, independent podcasters put in the low priority folder. <laughs> yeah. Some oh, guys writing um, flat earthers, they um, email much. And um, the reality is, no, they don't email me. What they, you know, they're, they're the type that love to troll on social media so they don't have to deal with you one on one. But yeah, no, yeah. they don't call. Um, because there's there's just no reason for them to call, um, so. I got an amazing. Uh, are we done lightning round, Jake? Yeah. All right, do you want me to hit this real quick? <laughs> I'll just give it a little outro music. Here, I'll jump in. All right, that's the outro music. I got an amazing. This we'll do this and then we'll get on to picks. I got this. Uh, this paper folded up and put in my door handle a couple of weeks back. That was like flat mm. Earth propaganda. Wow. And it was a double-sided, like, scanned a thousand times piece of paper where, like, I guess you're supposed to attach, like, a couple of sentences of something, scan it on, like, scan your addendum to this paper, and then print a bunch of copies and distribute them. And it is incredible, and I feel like I should post this somewhere, because I never experienced this in my life, but it was, like, door-to-door, flat-earth propaganda. And I never knew this existed. It was crazy. I I scanned it. It's crazy. I'll send a little copy out. It's amazing. So I just went and saw um, Scott Kelly speak at the University of Colorado Boulder. My, my son's actually studying um, mechanical engineering there. And, and of course, just got done reading his, his book, Endurance, and paid attention to the urine space. And I was cool. And someone asked him about flat, flat Earth. He goes, don't you think that the edge of the Earth, if it was flat, would be like the biggest tourist spot ever? <laughs> You could walk <laughs> up to it and look off the edge. He said, if that existed, that would be like the biggest tourist spot ever. So, no. <laughs> it's like, I never heard that. That's so funny, Scott. I love it. Okay, cool. Uh, so, you want to do picks, Anthony? Yeah, let's do some picks, other than the Edge of Earth, which is an amazing tourist attraction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Gary, why don't you start? My pick, um, kind of... Ex- what you explained is just something cool and interesting that I think is cool in space or something I've read or a movie I saw or whatever. Um, It's been out, I think for about a a year and a half now, but um, Andy Weir's book, Artemis, um, I read it when it first came out and, and, and I really dug it. Um, And of course, when the Martian came out, I I read it like twice before I even heard there was going to be a movie. But um, I, I read Artemis and, and really enjoyed the book. It's completely different than Martian, but I love the fact that Andy does such a cool job in kind of bringing in real science, real math, real, you know, technology into this fictional story. And, and it's cool because right now we're talking about, you know, the the way a, a, a commercial economy can be built up out at the moon, you know, starting with a gateway and then commercial landers and lunar landers and, and ultimately some sort of moon bases. And then we, we actually, in our discussions, start talking about Artemis as an example of kind of the higher echelon of what a commercial economy at the moon can look like. So Slugs cool. and all. Cool books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right. 
I think that was the best concept from. I haven't read it, so I'm assuming that was like an inside joke. <laughs> no, it's like the currency is like based on was it solid landed uh, goods like SLG, and they call them slugs. Yeah. So the currency was like one kilogram of cargo on the moon. Mm. Like, so you could pay this currency to get you one kilogram of cargo from the Earth. Kind of Bitcoin like, right? And, right. And so it, was, it, it was, all it yeah. wasn't physical. It's all transferred through your. Your, your your mobile device that everybody lives off of, which, you know, isn't too futuristic nowadays. Uh, I'll go next. So uh, I chose a podcast, um, and this one is only quasi-space related, uh, but it touches on it a little bit. Uh, it's called Time to Eat the Dogs, and it's about kind of the theme of a little bit of science, a little bit of exploration, a little bit of history, and a little bit of um, I guess like human experience, I guess. So it's really interesting because it, it kind of branches off to all these different topics. You know, there's uh, the guy, the, the host has a PhD and he studied in Antarctica for a while. And that kind of kicked off his, um, his interest in like humans exploring into these remote places and stuff. And so there's a little bit of crossover between Mars and stuff. Uh, he did an interview with Garrett Reisman, um, astronaut on the ISS. Uh, he's done, um, I'm just looking through the the uh, the episodes here. A couple about like um, imaging from space and 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 maps and how those play into how we explore and experience things. Uh, but it's I, I kind of came into it by accident, just looking up um, the interview about. Uh, he he talked to a guy who was an American who served on the research vessel that went to the the Soviet Antarctic station in the '60s. So it was like he was like the only American guy there and he went down. I forget the name of the station, but someone's probably going to be able to look it up in the chat. But um, it's if you've ever seen that, there's a very famous photo that came from that expedition where the, the doctor had to give himself his own appendectomy to take out his appendix. And so oh, there's all these yeah. black and white photos mm -hmm. of, of the guy cutting himself open with a mirror and, and pulling out his appendix. So that's the expedition. Yeah. And uh, so this American guy just. Um, talked about the the experience of how he had to fly down to like South Africa and meet these people and living with you know 60s era Soviet uh, living conditions which are not great the the food and the water was pretty rough and um, yeah it was pretty interesting Myrny but... Station Myrny Station I'm looking at the website Myrny I think yeah right? Myrny Myrny yeah 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 yeah, yeah that's the one um, so it was a, that was a fascinating episode and then I just kind of stuck with it because it was pretty cool and, and there ended up being a few space connections in there so. Yeah, I, I recommend it. It was really good. Time to eat the that's dogs. It's a, a hell of a name of a podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My pick is from 1996. Uh, this was released on February 1st, 1996. I'm keeping it Lockheed for you, Gary. All right. I am, I'm working through an audible backlog here. Um, and I had saved... Somebody recommended this in the off-nominal Discord months ago. I, I want to say it was Mass Fraction. He hasn't been around in a while, but I want to say it was him. Uh, this is Skunk Works, a personal memoir of my years at Lockheed, and it was written by Ben Rich, who ran Skunk Works um, during the era of the F-117 development. Um, but he also worked on the U-2, SR-71, a lot of different uh, you know, projects at the time, some oh. even that were canceled. Uh, and it's he talks a lot. So this is semi-space related. This is more aerospace-y in general. But I think if you're into engineering, um, there's a lot of really interesting stories in this and I'm not all the way done it yet so this is kind of a midstream pick but 
some of the stories he has about <clears throat> working on these programs, like these crazy secret programs that are very small teams focused on certain issues. Um, if you're into engineering, into aerospace, into development at all, I am loving it so far, and I'm very excited to get through the rest of the book. Uh, but yeah, it's like 22 years old, so it's it's an old one, but all of the stuff holds up because it's you know it's an aerospace history book. Very cool. And Skunk Works is just like one of the coolest things ever. It is. I mean, we're so proud of that place. Of course, Kelly Johnson is kind of the engineer that everyone thinks about when you hear Skunk Works. But man, those folks are working yeah. on some really cool things. Hey, if we got like 30 seconds for a cool story, I'll try to use that and I'll wrap it all up with what we kind of almost started with. Let's Perfect. do it. So back um, when I, after Iconos launched um, Space Imaging, this is 99, so back in early 2000, a, 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 um, a, an organization called globalsecurity.org um, um, wanted to test the theory that we could take a, a, it, an image of anywhere in the world because of open skies, and this was a commercial satellite. And he says, okay, fine, there's this place outside of Nevada called Groom Lake. Take a picture of that and give it to me because you're a commercial satellite, and we... Um, um, we did it, <laughs> and we took a picture of Area, <laughs> took a picture of Area 51. Um, you know, it, we were allowed to do it because of open skies and the ability to take uh, imagery of, at one meter resolution pixels, so we could see um, the hangars and see the runways, and there was nothing outside. Um, but little <laughs> did I know that I was going to end up over at Lockheed Martin at the day where that. Um, you know, Skunk Works uh, has a lot of cool stuff going on in, in Palmdale in that region. So that was a, that was kind of a cool little full circle. Officially I, sanctioned photos of Groom Lake. That's like <laughs> nobody nobody can really say that story. <laughs> hey, that might be one of my coolest, um, weirdest interview because um, we I then had a documentary company, a couple of them come out and want to do documentaries that we're, we're doing documentaries on Area 51 and they wanted to come talk to us about how we took this amazing satellite image and our interpretation of it. And it's like, yeah, we'll just <laughs> don't interpret, but we'll do the interview with you. So maybe there, there you go, Jake. There's my weirdest interview. Perfect. That's what I was fishing for. <laughs> okay. Gary, thanks so much for uh, indulging this uh, this interview. It was I know it was a super weird request, and I felt weird sending it. But uh, you're a stand-up guy. <laughs> you're a, a class act. Uh, I'll take the opportunity to also thank you for all your help in the past with all the all the interviews you've set up with me. It's been awesome, uh, and I hope we keep working together. Absolutely, man. I, I really appreciate it. It's you know a nice Friday. Get to have a beer and chat space with guys that are really enthusiasts and, and know their stuff. It, it's fun stuff. So Anthony, it was good to uh, meet you virtually. And Jake, I'm glad we got to meet out there in, um, in California. I look forward to seeing you guys. And I look forward to hooking up and uh, meeting you at um, Epcot. Meeting you at Canada. We're starting in Canada. We're not starting in Mexico. Hey, no, we're not <laughs> no, we're One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. End of test. Hey there, off nominalians, off nominalies. Uh, look, I, I don't know what to call you, but th the point is, there's something we forgot to add to this podcast. It's a little bit because Anthony and I are kind of dumb, and it's also probably because we were drinking. But the point is, we are excited to share that we finally have some off-nominal merchandise just for you. You can now pick up an off-nominal logo tri-blend t-shirt, and it's got a special Easter egg hidden in it that only listeners are going to understand. Now, do you remember episode four of Off Nominal, where we went over the New Frontiers Down Select missions? That would be the Caesar mission to 67P and the Dragonfly mission to Titan. Well, now you too can take a side in that debate by picking up a Team Caesar or Team Dragonfly t-shirt. 
And don't worry, I stocked up on a ton of Team Caesar shirts because I know exactly how this contest is going to go. Now, Off Nominal doesn't have its own storefront, and so you can pick up these t-shirts in either the Main Engine Cutoff store or the We Martians store. Doesn't matter where you get it, prices are all the same, and all the funds are going to go to fund uh, hosting fees for Off Nominal as well as future meetups. So, as Anthony likes to put it, you can kind of consider it a down payment on a beer if you ever make it out to see us one day. So... The only thing it does matter is bragging rights. So if you want to make Anthony a little bit embarrassed because he lost to a Canadian, head over to shop.wemartians.com. And if you want to make America great again, well, you know what to do at shop.maineenginecutoff.com. So thanks for all your support. We're really excited to have it. And uh, we hope you like the t-shirts.